the Galatian, the series, and uh, we're excited. I'm excited about diving into this incredible, amazing book. And uh, just as we kind of get started, but first of all, if you, uh, if you want to uh, get your copy of God's Word, obviously we're going to be in Revelation. We're going to move pretty quickly uh, through this first uh, section of uh, this book. And our idea is to go through this book uh, over the next several weeks and uh, to get an idea of what this book is about and how we can relate it to our life. And uh, just, um, I want to say thank you to everyone who um, walked with our family, prayed for our family while, uh, you know, the anchor of our family, my wife, is gone for about a week in Dallas with some training. And so we are very, very glad to have her back. Amen. Yes, yes. They like, they like you better than me, sweetie. That's okay. That's, that's how they should. Hey, um, all right, so this book of Revelation, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of uh, say with some notes here, and just to kind of make sure we keep on, on uh, task and on target, because, you know, sometimes I could kind of wonder and add a few things uh, to the message. So I want to make sure that we stay within our time here today. So I'm going to kind of stick with sort of a script here today. But um, this book of Revelation is, uh, is a book that people in the church most want to hear taught because they don't understand it. I've heard many of y'all say, hey, when are we going to go through Revelation? I'm like, never. That's a scary book. I mean, it's a big book. But at the same time, it's a book that preachers in the church least want to talk about because they don't understand it either. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, I'm like with you. So we're going to dive on this together, and we're going to learn some things. It's got this mysterious, intensely prophetic character that makes people curious. You know, I remember as a kid, my brother and I watching, you know, some of those old 70s, you know, movies about, you know, the, the end times in, in Revelation, like Omen and Damien. And it's really freaky that my parents would actually allow me to watch those things as a six-year-old or seven-year-old. But hey, that's kind of house I grew up in. And so watching those scary movies, I remember my brother and I was like, okay, we got to check each other's head. Because in that movie, he talks, you know, he goes and checks like his son's head and see if he had 666 on. It's really freaky. And it's like, doo, 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 doo. you know, and so we, I remember we'd like check each other's head. And I checked my brother's twice when he was sleeping just to make sure that there wasn't a 666 in his head. But uh, books and movies like Left Behind makes us curious as to how this all will end up. So I believe we are getting closer to the end times. Amen. I mean, my goodness, uh, there's so much evil in the world that it makes me wonder if we can handle any more of it. So you will see things in this book uh, that will scare you and make you lose hope. But if you read it all the way through, you will realize that we, the church, we will win in the end. Amen? You excited about that? Show me you're excited. We will win in the end. Yes. And, you know, it, the, the, the Tennessee-Georgia game, I'm not sure if the, anyone thought that they were going to win in the end. <laughs> Holy cow, that's an amazing. And the week before, LSU and Auburn game, both teams won in the end, but then, you know, it didn't go that way if you follow uh, sports, college uh, football. So a little bit of background before we dive into chapter one. We need to uh, kind of look at this book. So the nature revelation, uh, it's really a letter. It's a letter, uh, sort of a, a filled a series of uh, apocalyptic visions. Uh, revelation means an uncovering of things yet to take place. Uh, it presents itself like a picture book in the form of symbols and signs about the kingdom of God and how it will never end. Uh, so this book is written uh, not to be taken literally, 
all the way through, but figuratively in things to come. It doesn't mean, though, that every verse is symbolic because there are some uh, pieces of this, um, of this letter that we do need to take literally, but there's a lot of symbolism um, uh, and imagery in this book. So the Dead of Revelation uh, dates back to about 90 A.D., and it was written by uh, the Apostle John, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so John, you know, John uh, wrote the book of John, and, and uh, in the Bible, his gospel. And so that's where we get John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. So John is the one who wrote, who wrote this, um, this famous uh, book. He was on exile on the island of Patmos, uh, which is right outside of uh, present-day Turkey. Okay, Asia Minor. So present-day Turkey, uh, on the west coast of Turkey, there's a few islands, and one of those islands is Patmos. And he was exiled there because he was sharing the gospel, and he received this vision. Uh, if there's any kind of key verse that sort of summarizes this book, it would be Revelation 17, 14. Revelation 17, 14, it says this, They will wage war against the Lamb, Jesus but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him we will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So this book is a letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. It was meant to be read to the members of the churches. So imagine uh, the, the, these seven churches and this letter going out to these seven churches. And they're all kind of in rel relatively close proximity to one another there in present-day Turkey. And this letter was being spread around. And it was, it was meant to, to just be read in front of the whole church. So they would just, in, in, in one sitting, so they would just sit and they would read this letter. And they probably have done it multiple times. And, uh, so this, and so this letter um, was for those seven churches. Um, now, what's interesting is that none of these people had theological degrees. None of these people in the church had theological degrees. They applied the words to their lives. But this letter was not just to them. It's a letter to all the churches. Because Jesus couldn't say, all right, to the church at Lake Point. Now, it would have been pretty freaky if he would have put that in the Revelation. To the church at Lake Point in Emerson, okay? Where's Emerson? <laughs> you know, so, so he, he had to pick some, he wanted to talk to some churches that were already in existence, and the message to those churches is the same message for us today. So it's important not to overcomplicate things in this book and say, overcomplicate? Have you read Revelation? Yeah. It seems like we can overcomplicate it. But if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, then you will have what it takes to read this book and apply it to your life. Will you understand every single thing? No, I don't understand every single thing. I'm not sure if anyone understands every single thing in this book. But what, we must read this book through the eyes of the early church as they face the choice to deny Christ and bow or bow to the Roman emperor and face death. And so... That's what they had to face, the early church. And you know what? I believe we're getting closer and closer to a time here in America where that could be a choice. I know there are other parts of the world where that is a choice. There are Christians in Muslim countries who are being killed, martyred every day because of their faith. So let's get started. Revelation chapter 1, verse one through three. This is sort of a, a prologue and introduction. And it says this, a revelation from Jesus Christ, 
which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart that it, what is written in it because the time is near. So Jesus is already telling you, look, blessed are you, Lake Point Church. You know why? Because you are taking time to read aloud these verses. So I believe God is going to bless you this week and throughout this series. Uh, um, Revelation of chapter, four, ver, um, chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. This is sort of a greeting. John, to the seven churches... And the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be his kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever." So Jesus is who, who, who is, who was, and who is to come. He is forever the same. Verse 7 and 8, this sort of a proclamation and prophecy. Look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, hallelujah, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty exclamation point. I know that's not in there, but I put that in there. All right, uh, verse 9 uh, through 20. So here's John's vision of Christ. So I, John, he's on an island, Patmos. Now, he's not by himself. There's other people who've been exiled. And it's a pretty large island, but John is there. Uh, John, your brother, companion in the serving and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, now these are red letters. This is Jesus. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Paragon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And they're not talking about Philadelphia here in the United States, all right? So I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I saw, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with the golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. You ever been like a, by a huge waterfall? And just kind of imagine that sound. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and uh, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. You would do the same thing, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
hell, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, these seven churches in modern day Turkey do not exist anymore. You can actually go to Turkey and see the rubble of where each and every one of these seven churches used to exist, the, 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 the building, okay? Now, obviously, the church of Jesus Christ still exists, but those particular congregations do not because of the persecution that's happened over 2,000 years. And so these letters to these seven churches, here's what, as, we talk, as Jesus is talking to these seven churches, he's talking to them and he's giving them a message, now, here's what I want you to do. When, he, when we, he's talking to these seven churches, I want you to ask yourself, is he talking to me? Is he talking to me? Is this message for me? Now, I don't want you to think that these messages are just for the seven churches and not, they don't exist anymore, and that's it. This is old news. Uh, why are we even reading through this? These words are alive. God's word is alive forever and evermore. And so when we read this, think, is he talking to me? Is he talking to me? Is he speaking to me? So um, the church at Ephesus. This was the church at Ephesus. We're going to call this the apostolic church. The apostolic church. Apostolic uh, mainly means it was started by, by, the, um, by the apostles. Okay. So Paul had a hand in starting the church at Ephesus. In fact, you can read through Acts how this was, um, how this was started. And, and, and his helper, Timothy, was involved in that. And then also John, uh, who wrote the book of Revelation, actually spent some time there at the church at Ephesus. So Ephesus is a church, is the oldest church of these churches. And so he's talking to this, um, to this church right here. So here's Jesus talking. It says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Now, listen, is he talking? Is he speaking to you? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. You have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had, you had at first, your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, uh, uh, which I also hate. And whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give to the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, which is in heaven. So over 2,000 years ago, millions of people would come to the city of Ephesus. It was a major city in that region, much like our New York. Uh, maybe they would come to worship in the temple of the god of Artemis, a temple that at the time was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a city full of idolatry and sexual immorality. In the city was a group of Christians who started this church, much like Paul, Timothy, and John all spent time there in the church. This was a strong church with a lot of passion and zeal. They could not bear evil. They exposed the false prophets. Jesus spoke 
uh, Jesus chose to speak to this church first. What can we learn from this message of the churches of Ephesus? While spreading the gospel, we can easily be caught in doing church. We can lose our first love, which is the reason why we do what we do. So here at Lake Point Church, we're planting this church. We're planting this church. We're three years now, three and a half years. And so we're planting this church, and it can be so easy to just get caught up in the doing of things and doing things. I mean, we have to set up benches. We have to set things up and move things around. There's a lot, there's a lot of things to do, and people like doing things. It's like, I just want to do something. And we understand that. It kind of puts your faith into action. But here's, here's what we need to watch out for, church. We need to watch to make sure we don't lose the reason why we do set up these, these benches. Why? So people can find Jesus Christ. So we can point people to God through a relationship with Jesus so people can hear the message of salvation. So church, don't lose your first love. If you're, if you're a little bit numb in your heart around the edges, get with Jesus. Don't lose your first love. To the church at Smyrna, he's the second church, the persecuted church. We're going to call this a persecuted church. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich, rich in spirit. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and, and are not, but are, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to, uh, to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is a victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So Smyrna was a very wealthy city known for its wickedness and opposition to the gospel. This church at Smyrna is known as the persecuted church. They were crucified, stoned, and placed in prison. Christians who are persecuted are often strengthened and unified. One thing that, one thing that persecution does, it, it purifies. It purifies the church. Look throughout church history. Anytime the church is persecuted, it purifies it. This church has no rebuke from Christ, just like the, at Ephesus. But I have this against you. Christ says, I don't have anything against you, church at Smyrna. You want to be like this church? Man, it'd be great to be like that church. But let me warn you, there is going to be persecution. But I would rather have persecution than to be rebuked by my Savior. Wouldn't you? I don't want to stand before him but be rebuked by my Savior. You would suffer persecution. Now, here in America, we don't really know persecution. We will one day, and it's coming. I mean, you can, almost, you can see the signs, can't you? You can, see, you can almost see it, but you can't even stop it, can you? So, if you are in a place down the road, young people, you might be at a place down the road when you're, when, when, when you're much older and you're suffering persecution. Listen, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is telling you, look, I don't have anything against you. Remain strong. Do not bow to wickedness. So that was church number two. Church number three, the church at Pergamum. The church at Pergamum. This is the compromising church. 
Revelation chapter two, verse 12 through 17 says, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has its throne. Satan actually has, he uh, talks about how Satan has his throne in the city of Pergamum. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even the days of Antipas, um, my faithful witness who was martyred, uh, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you uh, also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give uh, some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, there's some symbol... symbol uh, a symbolism there with a white stone and uh, the, the whole manna deal. And uh, the, you've heard me say the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were uh, a sect, a group of people who uh, claimed to be uh, Christians but were actually teaching uh, false doctrine. And uh, uh, many churches were actually uh, infiltrated with them. And, but they did not hold, this church did not hold true to the Nicolaitans. Um, they integrated the gospel along with the pagan teachings. It was a marriage of the state and the church. Uh, Pergamum was a showcase of many gods. It was like going to Vegas to see all the casinos. You can go to Pergamum and visit temples for healing, pleasure, wisdom, and so on. In fact, the seat of Satan is located in Pergamum. The good point about this church is that they did not deny Christ or their faith even in the middle of this wicked city. In this wicked city, it was the seat of Satan. In fact, they, um, they built the altar of, of Balaam. And uh, on this, in the middle of this altar was this, 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 huge, um, uh, this huge ox, uh, this stone ox as an idol. And actually, the, the, the gentleman, uh, Antipas, who was uh, martyred there uh, for his faith, they actually martyred him there on that altar. And in fact, that, that whole... Um, that whole uh, altar there, you can actually see it in Germany because here's what happened. Hitler wanted this, um, this whole altar of Balaam, he wanted reconstructed in Germany back in the 1930s. And so they reconstructed this in, the, in Germany and, um, and this, uh, this same altar. I mean, it's wicked, wicked things. So they did not, hold, uh, they did not uh, lose their faith in the middle of this wicked city, but they ate food, sacrificed to idols, committed fornication, and held to the doctrines of Balaam. So here's, here's my question to you. Is God telling you this? Are you living a compromising life? This is the compromising church. This is the compromising church. They had a little bit of church. They had a little bit of Jesus, but they also had a little bit of the world. They sort of had one foot in Christ, one foot in the world. They would act one way during church, another way in the world. And so Jesus is telling this, look, don't compromise. Do not compromise. If you, if you, um, if you don't compromise, 
I will give you a new name. And I have, I, have eternal, uh, I have eternal life for you. So don't compromise your faith. Don't be like the church in Pergamum. So that's church number three. Church number four, the church at Thyatira. The church at Thyatira. This is called the corrupt church. The corrupt church found in verse 18 through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am... He who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of the according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one who ruled them with an iron scepter and would dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever is ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. So Thyatira. Thyatira was a town worship that worshiped Apollo. He was, this God was called the son of God to them. By the time the early church grew up here, it was a very prosperous town. Believers were commended by Jesus here in Revelation. He even says that their works today are better than what they used to do. So this church was on, was on an upward uh, trajectory that's remarkable given the pressures to Christians in this evil town. The entire social, economic, religious structure of Thyatira was built around what is called guilds. It was more, uh, guilds were basically like labor unions. Each craft held its own, uh, its own guild. So like if you, if you were, um, uh, if you had this particular trade, you would hang around these people, uh, part of this guild. If you had a different kind of trade, you would be around those people in that particular guild. And so, but it was more than just a labor union. Their guilds was how they did life together. Periodically, uh, the guilds would hold great festivals to celebrate in honor of their guilds. It's like a large corporation party, so you can think of it like that. But they would hold them in the temple of Apollo, where sexual practices were part of the celebration. They would worship Apollo. So here's the deal. What is a Christian supposed to do with that? If they refused, they would most likely lose their job because they're not doing part of things with the guild, because their absence would affect the look of, of that guild. The guild would have only one option. They would expel you. You would lose your job. So Christians would lose their job if they chose to stand against the immorality of the day and stand for Christianity instead. If, so if you're suffering persecution because of your workplace, that Jesus is pleased with you. 
But if you're like the church at Thyatira, you need to repent from engaging in activity contrary to the Word of God just to save your position, your status. So don't allow this Word to corrupt you or your family. So you, you could be in situations, and several of you, have, uh, I know, have been in those kind of situations before because you've told me. And uh, you will have these situations more and more. As evil comes into the world, you're going to have a choice. And students, you already have a choice right now on your campus. You will have a choice. Do I stand for Christ? Do I stand for Christ? Or do I lose my status in these group of friends? Do I lose my status in my workplace? Do I lose my position in my job? Do I lose my job if I, if I, if I proclaim Christ? If I say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do those things because it is against my Christianity. It's against my faith. I love Jesus more than what I want to do with that. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You want, uh, you, you want to not be like the church at Thyatira. You do not want to be like the corrupt church. And uh, I know it's going to be hard. Uh, for you to withstand those things, especially if your job is at stake. But, um, but just hold tight to that. Jesus is telling you. Jesus is telling you. He's pleased with you. All right, uh, next church, the church at Sardis. We got three more churches. The re- this is called the Reformed Church, Revelation 3. We're in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. To the angel of the church at Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know what time uh, at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord church says of the churches. Now, at the end of all of these things, Jesus is saying, whoever has ears, let him hear. I want to remind you that Jesus is telling you that right now. Jesus is telling you that right now. As we read these words, these words are Jesus' words. These words aren't John's words. John is not saying this. Jesus is saying this. And it's Jesus speaking to you. His word is powerful, like a double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of Christ. So this particular church is characterized by reforming itself away from the corrupt church. Because of of this, they set up many rules to live by. The works were good, but they were spiritually dead. You know, when you're asleep, you don't know it. I mean, you don't, when you fall asleep, you don't think, oh, I'm asleep. Okay, I'm asleep. Uh, you know when other people are asleep, but you don't know when you are asleep. And so uh, that's kind of how it is whenever we, uh, when we're sort of dead in our, in our faith, in our Christianity. You don't know when you are asleep, when your faith is, is just sort of dormant. Uh, these deeds itself, uh, this leads itself to legalism. Um, one begins to follow rules rather than their Savior. Your Christian walk is like a zombie when you just follow rules. But life comes to those who follow Jesus. So in this, um, this church, the Reformed church, the church at Sardis, um, Jesus is saying, look, 
some of you may be in, your, in, in a time of your life where you're, okay, I'm going to set up these rules. I've got to do these certain things um, to, to uh, have a better life. I've got to do these things to have a better marriage. I've got to do all these rules, these guidelines, and these guardrails. And that is good, but you don't want to start with the, you don't want to start with the rules, <laughs> You don't, you don't ever want to start with the rules. You want to start with the relationship. You don't want to start with the what. You want to start with the why. The why is I love Jesus. You want to, you want to, to do those things to please your Savior. It starts with the relationship. And then as the relationship builds, then you're saying, you know what, Lord, I feel like that what I'm doing here doesn't please you. So I feel like I need to set this guardrail here and because I'm not pleasing you. I'm not pleasing you. And so, but if we start with the rules, we hardly ever get to the relationship. And if your life is just a bunch of rules, then you're dead. You're spiritually dead. Like one rule for you is we got to go to church. We got to go to church. If that is a rule for you, let me encourage you. Don't set it up as a rule Set it up as a relationship. Rather than saying, I got to go to church. I know, I know students what you're thinking, but my parents, my parents make me go to church. Okay, it's okay. We can make you go to church. But, but as you get older, know this. Don't approach it like I got to go to church. Approach it like I want to go to church. Why? Because I want Jesus to speak through me, to me. I want Jesus to to speak to my heart. I want to know more about him. I want to know more of what is in his word. I want to sing songs with other believers. I want to sing songs with other people. I want to get to know people. I want to know more about Jesus. And so if you start off with rules, you're going to have spiritual deadness. You're just going to be a zombie. Don't be a zombie. They're freaky. Don't be a Christian zombie. Have life start with that relationship. Don't be like the church at Sardis. Two more churches, the church of Philadelphia. We're going to call this the missionary church. Verse 7, chapter 3. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have uh, little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write them on the name of my God and on the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. If you, if you want to be like any church, be like this one. This church is commended for not denying their faith, even though they have very little strength. They were a missionary church. They had the key to heaven. They had the answer. 
They had no faults that were mentioned. This is the only church that didn't have any faults, uh, along with the, um, the second church. They were teaching, preaching, and evangelizing the gospel. They were all unified around the mission. Are you teaching others the word of God? Are you, do, are you a doer, not just a hearer of the word? So what Jesus is saying is, look, be a missionary church. Tell others about Jesus. You want to be this church that you don't want to just hear the word, but you want to do the word of God. And again, if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you, if you put the relationship before the rules, then you will want to please him and you want to be a, a doer of the word. Last church, the church at Laodicea. We're going to call this the lukewarm church. To the angel of the church at Laodicea write, these are the words of the, uh, of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold, I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Another word for spit is vomit. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich in white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. To be, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever is ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This church is lukewarm, characterized by modernism and spiritualism. There's nothing good about this church. Nothing. It doesn't mention one positive thing about the church at Laodicea. It's a church that says, I am rich and need nothing. Sound familiar? Might be some of the churches here in America. This is the prosperity gospel. Your attention should not be on material items, but on the spiritual items. Do you profess your faith, yet deny its power? Are you concerned with money? Do you pervert grace by saying that it's all right to keep sinning over and over it's the only church that has nothing good to say about it. If our churches are filled with lukewarm Christians, how do you think they will handle tribulation when it comes? And it will come before you realize it. So are you lukewarm in your life? Are you comfortable in your life? Is Jesus talking to you? Are you a church like Laodicea? Are you lukewarm in your life? Meaning, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable in your faith? Are you just sitting right there in an easy chair, in a lounge chair, reclining back in your faith, comfortable? Or are you being challenged in your faith? Are you being challenged in your faith? Are you challenging yourself? Don't wait for the challenge to come because it will come. But step out and challenge yourself. Talk to people about Jesus. There are people around you that need to hear 
about Jesus. There are people around you that need to know the gospel message. And if you're sitting here today and you have the light of Jesus Christ in you, if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have the answer to the problems that people are facing. Step out. Get out of your recliner. Get off your Christian butt and get on your feet and put feet to your faith. We need to not be in a comfortable position in our faith. We need to do something. Don't be lukewarm like Laodicea. So these seven churches, and I wanted to make sure that we, that we talked through each of these because this letter was written to them. And there are people who today who needed to hear those red letters of Jesus, every single one of them. So that's why we were intentional and deliberate about reading all three chapters, every word, because you needed to know where this book is starting at. I encourage you this week, read chapters one through three. Read chapters one through three, and if there's any phrase or any word or any passage that doesn't write it, underline it, highlight it, whatever you need to do, and say, I think God might be speaking to me on that. I think God might be speaking to me on that. Read those words. As we close, in conclusion, which church are you? Might be a mixture of some of these. I mean, it's really interesting as you study these churches. These same churches define a process that many believers go through. If you could put up the slide that has all of these apostolic, persecuted, compromising. If you look at these, these churches, the apostolic church, they hear the gospel and are saved. They begin their journey, just like the church at Ephesus began its journey with uh, having, uh, having uh, apostles, having Paul helping to start that. Maybe you're a believer and, you, uh, and, and you're sitting here today and you had people bring you to Christ. You had a, a, a Christian talk to you and, um, and to share your faith and you started your journey. But then persecution happened. Persecution happened. Because of your new faith, you were persecuted, just like the persecuted church. And because of that, that persecution, um, uh, the, the, you begin to compromise. You were like the compromising church. If you're not prepared for the persecution, then you begin to compromise. So as the new believers, if you're sitting here today and it's like, man, that was me. I was, I was a believer and I'm still a believer, but I was persecuted. I, I, was, I was talked about. I was ridiculed. And, and, and people, even my own family, they were talking about me. And... And I compromised. And compromise leads to corrupt. Just like the corrupt church. Your faith is corrupted because of continued compromising. As you compromise and compromise and compromise, you begin to corrupt your faith. And then after enough of corruption, you realize, man, I'm far from God. I'm a believer. I believe in him, but I'm not really living like a Christian. And so you begin to reform your life. You begin to set up rules. Is that I got to set up all these rules, and you realize, you know, I'm going to set up these these guardrails and these and these things, and I'm not going to do this anymore. And you and you come to find out, you know what? <laughs> That's not going to stand because I cannot I cannot obey rules. Our relationship is so much stronger than rules, and so after this, you become more of a, of a missionary. After following rules, you feel like something is missing. And that missing is a relationship. Because that relationship is so strong, you begin to tell others about Jesus. 
begin to tell others about Jesus, and you become a missionary right where you live, right where you go to school, right where you go to work. And then, in the end, you want to make sure that you never slip as a lukewarm Christian, as a lukewarm church. Even if you're sharing Jesus with others, it's so easy, church, to slip back into this, this comfortable, easy chair, into this recliner. It's so easy to go back to that. And so let me encourage you to take this opportunity to read through chapters one through three, and then next week, you don't want to miss because we're going to talk about the throne of God and we're going to approach the throne of God in our worship, and I cannot wait as we move forward through this. But this week, we needed to figure out who Jesus is talking to. Yeah, he was talking to churches there, but guess what? He's talking to the church. He's talking to you, and he's talking to me.